Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. This is the second part of our conversation on psychedelics, the clinical use and the ethical use of psychedelics. Brian Pilecki is our special guest today, and we also have Dr. Jenna Lejeune and Dr. Brian Goff here with us. Hello, hello. I love this conversation so much because I think like 25 years from now, they'll listen to this podcast and they'll go, can you believe they thought that this was wild? <laughs> right? I mean, is, is what's your vision for how this is going to, to inform, especially uh, the treatment of people with mental illnesses? I think the hope is that these, these medicines and these experiences can provide healing in a way that traditional talk therapy can't or has limits. And so the hope is that these would be widely available to people who, who need it, who would benefit from an, an experience that helps them reduce their overall suffering in their life. So those of us who are involved in research and the, the clinical practice um, really have hope that these are widely available um, and that could be happening within the next five or 10 years, actually. Yeah. One of my mm. biggest concerns about this is that I, I was completely for the legalization of marijuana in Oregon. And then I have been watching the statistics in terms of first time psychosis for 18 to 25 year olds. And it's almost a 63% increase at Unity Hospital that this generation of kids who might already have had some permeability for mental illness when they put too much THC in their system are having really awful psychotic symptoms. And so what is our uh, cautionary tale around psychedelics? Yeah, it's important to, to, to speak about this because with the increased media attention, there are people who are getting this uh, false notion that this is a quick fix or this is an easy solution. And they go into these experiences really unprepared and with expectations that aren't realistic and wind up having really challenging or bad experiences. So it is important that we understand the, the full risks and benefits, just like any other medicine has risks and benefits. There are probably some people uh, for which psychedelics may not be the best idea. And, and for now, Again, we still don't really have good scientific understanding of who might benefit the most and who probably shouldn't take psychedelics, but we have the sense that individuals with a predisposition to psychosis or bipolar disorder probably, or and the other is personality disorder, probably should not um, at this point um, in, engage in, in psychedelic therapy. And is that if you also have a genetic link to a person in your family with bipolar disorder, even if you haven't shown symptoms, if there's that sort of genetic thread that runs through your family, avoid it? It increases the risk. Again, we can't really say for certainty, yeah. um, but we know that in what, what the, the seems to be the, the most important factor is the set and setting. So in these trials where it's a safe setting, where there's an established relationship with a provider, there haven't been any adverse events. Uh, the adverse events that come from psychedelic use occur when they're used in settings that are less controllable. Doing acid in your basement or going to a music festival. Mm -hmm. While it's possible to have kind of a mystical experience or a very healing experience from that, it becomes more risky. I think, though, in addition to having a bad trip or having negative experiences because of the psychedelic use, there's also this piece around how unbelievably vulnerable you are in that state mm. of, of being under the influence of a psychedelic. Yeah. And I guess part of my concern for people is that piece you talked about, about set and setting 
that you really, really would want to be in an environment with trustworthy people, trustworthy guides, because you, you truly are at an incredibly vulnerable place. Is that, is that kind of your understanding as well, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. It is. You are very vulnerable, both physically. Um, you might not be able to get up or walk around emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in this place where you're, you're feeling a lot of things and definitely, uh, if there's someone in the environment or something about the environment, even the fact that these substances are illegal can yeah. add an element of fear sure. that can get in the way, not all the time, but, but again, the risk increases, um, for, for having, uh, and when we say bad trip, there's this sort of notion that there's no such thing as a bad trip. I don't know if you've heard that before. <laughs> um, the wisdom behind that is, whatever happens is meant to happen or whatever happens is an opportunity to grow. But I do think there are some people who have these experiences that are so negative, so scary, so overwhelming that they don't find that there's been any benefit from it. And it actually winds up causing them more long-term problems. So we don't fully understand how that works yet. But again, in the clinical trials, we haven't seen any of that. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you unpacking that. First of all, there are bad trips because uh, Sheila was on a five hour delay on her flight back to Portland. But you know, when people hear that idea of like, it won't be a really positive experience. I think a lot of listeners are going to say, well, I mean, there've been times where I've drank too much and the next day I just had to make some phone calls to some people and be like, did I do something or embarrass myself? Or I smoked too much pot and I got really paranoid. But then the next day it's okay. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I appreciate us unpacking the idea that the negative experience can outlast that evening or that, that day. That it can be a significantly negative experience and that people should be cautioned about that. Well, is there um, any kind of research into the number of people who have done psychedelics and had their brains changed forever that they didn't really recognize or or were capable of returning to their self? So our overall sense is that whatever happens, it's possible to recover from. Actually, Uh a lot of the earlier ideas that you know, for example, like MDMA was believed to damage your brain, um, show that we, we seem to be leading towards more of an idea that the brain can recover from any substance use or any experience. So, um, but there are these uh, potentials for having difficulties that are not therapeutic or beneficial at all. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was speaking of that, I don't know that I was necessarily speaking of the biological long-term effects, but the long-term effects of say being in a very, as Jenna was saying, being in an extremely vulnerable state around people who are unsafe. Absolutely. And so part of the work that Brian does is he helps people do integration work and harm reduction work who are choosing to use psychedelics in a, in a therapeutic way. And so being able to work with somebody who does that kind of integration work can help you. I mean, I guess maybe you can speak more about what you do in that work. Yeah, I'd be interested. First of all, integration, harm reduction, would you explain both? Sure. This is kind of a new area of therapy where five years ago you wouldn't see on someone's website that they're doing this kind of therapy work. But it's basically since it's illegal to sit with clients or to provide psychedelic experiences, uh, we can from a harm reduction standpoint, meet with people and help them prepare 
what that really means is understanding the risks and benefits and under and making a decision whether or not it's right for them. Yeah. And then on the other side is helping people to integrate um, whatever experience they had into their daily lives. Because one thing about psychedelics is it's very common to have this very positive experience, but that doesn't always translate to long lasting change. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I heard was that the, a lot of these people who are doing the guided experience aren't trained psychologists. So one would think, what if you have somebody who's just completely crazy and telling you you're or trying to integrate your experience in a way that's not professional or helpful at all? Yeah, it's a great, great point. And there, there's, there is a wide network of underground therapists who have been actually sitting with people for decades. And many of them have a lot of great experience and wisdom that unfortunately it makes it difficult because of the legality for sort of modern science to interface with them. Yeah. Um, but there's also, it's the, 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 uh, the quality of the person is, is more variable because they are operating on the underground level. So Again, going back to what Jenna said, having that sense of trust and safety is so important. And when you're meeting with somebody in the underground, you know, it's harder to establish that potentially. Also, just about um, dosage, I'm very curious because I've been told that if you want to be safe, you should start with microdosing and move up. But the great experiences, the ones that are life transforming are often on very high amounts of psilocybin. Yeah, so microdosing is more of a recent, uh, or, or it's, it's really become more popular recently. Microdosing really means taking a subperceptual amount of the substance. So, really, if you're microdosing, you shouldn't be experiencing anything, may, maybe a very little bit of perceptual differences. And there right now is really no research on this. So there are a lot of anecdotal reports that microdosing can be helpful. And a lot of people, you can find resources um, giving advice about how to do that. Uh, but we really don't know how that works. And that's in contrast to regular dosing, which can be a small amount, you can take a small amount of any psychedelic and have a, you know, less intense experience. But traditionally, all of the research, even going back to the 60s, when there were you know, over a thousand articles published yeah. on psychedelic science, the, the biggest kind of paradigm of conducting that research and giving psychedelics was this more large dose where a person traditionally wears eye shades, puts on headphones and goes inside. Yeah. You know, one of the things I was thinking of how, um, how often this experience in the early years was used to connect people, that, that psychedelics were used to find your tribe, to be part of your culture. And then it felt like in the 60s, everybody was like, turn off and, you know, go and do your own thing. And in, in many ways, I think what a lot of the problems are in, in our society is this disastrous feeling of loneliness. And so I think psychedelics maybe have a branding problem like because isn't what we want is to have it connect us more isn't it that we want to be able to feel this universality that is in this room and in our world yeah so i agree that this uh, sense of disconnection or alienation from others is is at the core of a lot of psychopathology and a lot of what we struggle with and yeah psychedelics can be a way to feel connected um sometimes though it's necessary to do your own personal work before like to, to, for example like maybe to get in touch with what what blocks you or to heal from prior trauma or prior relationships that were harmful in order to be more connected but uh -huh. one of the things that's 
now starting to be tested in a couple of trials is group therapy, so group administration of psychedelics, um, which I believe, I share um, your your view that I, I believe that those experiences um, might provide some additional benefit over just having a individual experience. experience yeah. yeah. It's I an interesting point. I want to hear from point. both of you, like just because we've had this conversation now and I want to hear off the top of your heads how it, how it sits with you and as a therapist how you feel about it if you'd suggest it to someone. How it sits with me, it's interesting that you said that a psychedelics has a branding problem. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I agree. <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, Damn it, Timothy Leary. <laughs> I mean, I think when you when you adopt names like acid and ecstasy, and it's a party drug, it's kind of like if you go into if you're listening to this in a state where recreational or medical use of marijuana is legal, and you go in and uh, you're thinking about the potential benefits of a strain of cannabis, and it's called Purple Mountain Kush, whatever. <laughs> um, it's just a tough. And the flip side is we know that there are a number of medications that are made by pharmaceutical companies that are FDA approved that have a fantastic branding and they're very dangerous and they're very complicated and people have tremendous problems with addiction. And it's the alignment of the potential utility of the use of any substance, be it from a pharmaceutical company or from a dealer. Yeah irrespective of the branding, because it seems like sometimes the press can get out in front of the utility and that the press on it can undermine the potential utility and people can, not just because of the legalities of it, but because of kind of the whole scene, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? I think probably because of the legalities, I I feel like I would be wading into an area of practice that I don't know enough about personally, about how to navigate that and how to navigate that responsibly. That feels like it's outside of my area of practice, but that doesn't mean that I am uh, categorically opposed to it. It's just probably outside of something that I know enough about to um, assist somebody ethically. It it just always crops up for me, Jenna, that um, with heroin addiction, we move them to methadone and then we move them to this other drug. And I'm kind of like, is there a point where we move them off of the drugs Mm -hmm. into just being? Right. Yeah, absolutely. This isn't something that you would then take every day for the rest of your life or even on a very regular basis. Mm -hmm. This is something that can provide you with an intense experience that you can then integrate into the rest of your life Mm -hmm. of how you live in kind of a normal, not drug-induced way. But I will just say very personally, like my answer to anything new, if you bring up, hey, would you like to try this new thing? My answer is invariably no. Like uh, always, yeah. I am, I am just, it's <laughs> terrible. I, I opened openness to new experience, Jenna, minus 52. Um, <laughs> wow, I feel so blessed that you're here on a podcast. <laughs> right? Yeah, and, no kidding. <laughs> and there's something about what I've read about the science of psychedelics. I'm still, I'm still, you know, the science is still out. We still have to kind of right. see it can't be as fantastic as some of the preliminary reports are coming out. But I do think that there is such the possibility of having a tremendous impact for people who either haven't had access to some of the resources that um, mm-hmm. some people have. So 
don't have access to, you know, regular ongoing therapy for once a week for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and people who are in a very, very stuck place, yeah. whether that is profound depression or trauma or even substance abuse. You know, there's some interesting research being done now on the use of psychedelics for people who are struggling with alcohol abuse. Right. I've heard that um, in the VA is really, really solidly um, supporting MDMA for uh, PTSD, that they're just seeing breakthroughs that they haven't been able to see in 20 years because people are getting a, a mindset shift away from the fear. Yeah. So. It's remarkable. I think part of the problem is we are all so entrenched in the stigma of drugs and the failed war on drugs. Yeah. And, you know, the first, uh, when psychedelics first came upon our scene in the 60s, the advocates like Timothy Leary probably overstated the benefits mm -hmm. and the law and those who are arguing against it probably overstated the risks. Yeah. And so breaking exactly. through that to get a more realistic sense of what these substances might provide is going to take some time. And the, one of the things that um, is most helpful to that, I believe, is the data. So you're speaking about PTSD, the phase two clinical trials for PTSD, uh, MDMA showed 57% did not meet criteria after two months, yeah. which is remarkable for any psychotherapy. And yeah. as a result, it's been granted the FDA breakthrough status, which is not given very frequently because we we see that it, it works. Yeah. And, and in some ways, every day that it's not widely available is another day where um, veterans are killing themselves yeah. or suffering with things. And they're, you know, which is needless if there seems to be this potential medicine that could help them. I want to just, I'm, I'm really, really shaky in the area of neurology, but I want you to help me with this because one of the uh, YouTubes that I was watching last night was talking about how when they first started doing these experiments, they expected to see MRI activity really lighting up when psychedelics were applied. And instead what happened was that our automatic part of the brain, which is the one that is doing everything, brushing your teeth, driving your car, doing everything you know how to do again and again, got really quiet mm -hmm. and so that everything else mm -hmm. like a child's brain was lit up again meaning we as adults probably use what 80 percent of our day is using that control center that's just done everything the way we do it before and what they what we need in terms of having this greater consciousness is to tap that down meditation yoga the things that actually quiet that part of the brain and it looks like psychedelics turn it off for a while. Yeah, there's a metaphor of kind of shaking up a snow globe. Yeah. Um, or this metaphor of all of our behaviors and typical thought patterns are kind of like well-worn um, ski paths that where people have been skiing. And so the tendency is to go into those, those paths. Yeah, those yeah. grooves. And so with psychedelics, there's kind of a smoothing over of that. So it's kind of uh, starting fresh or you, you have people reporting about these experiences of feeling like they see the world as a kid again. Things seem new. Things seem seem fresh and there isn't that old um at least temporarily those older habits or ways of seeing that that get in the way and block that wow what we're not talking about here is using a larger as people often say some people might hear this as oh we're going to use more of our brain you know like we only use 10 percent of our brain right kind of thing that's not what we're talking about although uh -huh. it would be fascinating to find out what happened if we use the other 60 percent <laughs> Uh, sorry. Uh, but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about letting go of 
the well-worn grooves that become sort of automatic and yeah. quote-unquote mindless. Right. And, and those well-worn grooves are unbelievably helpful. I mean, oh, yes. they, oh, yeah. they help me get through <laughs> my day. But it's yeah. also useful to be able to have the experience of what would happen if I went on the fresh bank of snow? Yeah, yeah. right. Isn't this a little bit like sensory deprivation experiments mm-hmm. or experiences where people go into these tanks and um, float um, that all of that normal sort of sensory input and the stuff that you're usually paying attention to goes quiet and it makes room for other things and people talk about mystical experiences there. Yeah, I mean, a similar relatable idea is when you go on vacation and you're suddenly in a new environment and all of a sudden you don't feel like you need that fourth cup of coffee or you don't need to do the thing that you feel like you have to do all the time at home. We don't realize how conditioned we are by our environments and how, like Jenna says, for benefit, we uh, develop habits and routines, but they also limit us. Yeah. So, so Brian, um, you told us about your first experience. Did you have any others that weren't as phenomenal? I've had uh, experiences that were negative, including one experience that was really difficult. And uh, I can you describe it? So this was an experience with um, a person. uh, It was a a great example of an environment that I did not feel completely safe in. I almost left. It was a ceremony, an ayahuasca ceremony, where I didn't feel completely safe in. I didn't really know the shaman. I knew some of the participants, but uh, I decided to stay. And I just had a very negative experience Uh involving a sense that I was dying. I wound up at the hospital. um, And the, the after effects of that, carried on for a while. And uh, after that, I stopped using psychedelics. Um, and it took me a long time to kind of make sense of what happened. And so I, that's an experience that really changed me into being way more cautious and yeah. talking about these substances or directing people about how to take them or where to take them because of this potential. Wow. Ayahuasca, different from psilocybin, administered in much higher doses, correct? Yeah, ayahuasca is a hallucinogenic tea that's typically um, from South America. And uh, the active ingredient there is DMT as opposed to psilocybin, which is, again, they all have sort of a different, almost like personality or set of qualities that go with them. Yeah, and how how we're to know which one our body is going to enjoy and light up to and reject, right? The other... Did you ever have your liver tested after you did that to see what it did to your liver? No. Huh. I was afraid, though, that it had damaged yeah. my brain. and, and But yeah. then I realized that was just kind of a story that I was telling myself. Wow. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I think for, for some people who have had, I've heard of people having experiences, uh, it, it can really cause them to uh, have some side effects that, that they, they, that are, that take, you know, effort and, um, energy to, to manage. But again, that's, it's less common, we think in more controlled set and setting. Um, have I, have I covered everything that you want people to know around the issue of integration of harm reduction of making sure that they do this, if they take this choice to do it very responsibly? Yeah, I think it's very important for people to understand all the risks and benefits that are implicated in whatever they're desiring to do. There's a lot of information that exists out there. So typically I recommend people just to read a lot, to watch, um, you know, listen to podcasts or watch things on uh, media, YouTube clips to help educate themselves. Uh, And I think even one thing to think about is even if you have a very 
um, positive experience or um, something that's not, let's say, a bad trip. Uh, you know, for example, someone asked me, could it be that after I took this, I don't want to be with my partner anymore? And I said, yes. And so you have to ask yourself, are you really ready to see um, what might happen during oh, wow. a psychedelic experience. And part of a psychedelic experience is uncertainty, which we tend to not like as humans. Yeah. We like to know. And, and, and that is part of the lesson is sort of learning to let go. Um, but you don't know what's going to happen. And so ha helping yourself to understand what are the possibilities and am I, am I ready to take the risks that are involved? But can I add to that, though, as well, Brian, Brian Goff, uh, wouldn't you say that is also true of therapy? like really work in therapy, mm -hmm. you don't know what the outcome's going to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the whole point. If you knew what the outcome was going to be, it would just like skip to the outcome part. But, right. but I mean, that is part of growth is that, you know, we don't actually, we can't control it. We don't exactly know what that outcome will be. And there are negative or really painful outcomes yes. to therapy, psychotherapy as well. So interestingly, I, I was thinking, Two different thoughts. One of them was exactly, Jenna, what you're saying is that happens a lot, right? In therapy, people mm -hmm. have to be kind of open to, they don't have to be, but that's that's how it's supposed to go, is open to where this takes you. Yeah. And yeah. can I be honest with myself about what I really care about and where things are going in my life and what sorts of changes, what is showing up for me, to, um, asks me to make. The other side of it is... Um, the thing that I'm assuming, the thing that I discover on my psychedelic uh, trip isn't necessarily uh, a command from God oh, yes. that I must change my life <laughs> yeah. in just the way that I experienced that night while I was tripping. <laughs> mm. the, the integration is a little bit like, okay, that came to you in technicolor, very loud, in surround sound. Now, what might that tell you and how might you incorporate it into your non-tripping life, given all your other <laughs> concerns and responsibilities and values? Yeah, I, I, I love that, Brian. Yeah, it sounds like you so could great. be like a good integration. Yeah, you could. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The, the slow your roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Pilecki, how do people get in touch with you if they want to work with you specifically on this? So I am a, uh, involved with the Portland Psychotherapy Clinic. They can look for our website and I'm available there. I'm also working with some other clinicians from other organizations for a local Portland integration network. Um, if you're not in Portland or if you're in a city that doesn't have uh, a psychedelic community, you can go to Psychedelic Support. Um, that's a website where you can find therapists in your area that provide harm reduction or integration services. Yeah, really cool. Wow, it was incredible to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming in today. You're welcome. My pleasure to be here. Yeah. As a note, our incredible programming was brought to us by the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Healthcare and Cedar Hills Hospital. And we would sure appreciate a thumbs up or a five star on all of the ratings wherever you listen. We're on every single platform now. Thanks for listening. Bye.